Let's open up to Isaiah chapter 42. So stoked to be launching this Easter series in Isaiah. All right, this year has been just going by so quickly, and we don't want Easter to sneak up on us, but instead we want to build anticipation uh, for celebrating this event in history that has changed the world, right? the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we're having a church work day. That's why we're having a Good Friday service to, to build up as we look forward to celebrating Easter. Because there's something about anticipating something that's good or enjoyable or life-changing that encourages us and fires us up in the present time. Think about the things that we're looking forward to even this year. Maybe some of us have come back from spring break on a trip and you're already anticipating going on another trip at the end of this year and you're building anticipation up. You've been saving up money to afford the trip. You've been collecting those airline miles, those points on your credit card so you can take that trip or that staycation during the summer. And not only that, you've been researching the place that you're going to see. You've been looking into the, the, the areas you'll be sightseeing. You've got a Google spreadsheet listing out all the places that, that you want to visit and the things that you want to do. On your phone, you've got a picture of that location on your lock screen so that during the day you're, you're checking on it so that it gets you looking forward to that vacation. Now, maybe most of us aren't that intense. It's a little bit too intense for us. And maybe it's not even a trip that you're anticipating, but you're looking forward to maybe going to that new restaurant, hitting up that new spot this week. You've already scrolled through Yelp. You've already looked at the, the, the menu options, the pictures. You've read the reviews. And, you know, on a hard work day, right, you look forward to eating at that spot. That's what gets you through that tough day. That's building anticipation because it feels good to look forward to something that's going to happen to you. Right? Our bodies respond positively to anticipation. In fact, research shows that our overall mood is boosted and our stress levels go down when we're looking forward to something. Anticipation increases motivation, optimism, and patience, while it decreases irritability in the present moment. And the thing is, God wants us to anticipate the future. We saw in Revelation, in the past few chapters, God gives us this vision, this picture of what we have to look forward to in a life with him. He wants us to anticipate. And that's what the people of Isaiah's time needed. See, they were in a bad spot. They had turned their backs on God. And even though God cared for them, they rejected him. God compared himself in Isaiah to a gardener who was taking care of his vineyard, who was preparing the soil, watering the plants, giving them adequate sunlight and nutrients, protecting them from pests and intruders. That, God, uh, that was God towards Israel. And instead of loving God, instead of responding by producing fruit and growth, they turned their back on him, and they put their trust in idols. They turned their back on each other, and they were violent and neglectful and, and selfish. Instead of being mirrors reflecting God's justice and righteousness to the world, they were just like every other nation, and they would soon experience judgment. They'd be taken forcibly into exile by the kingdoms of Assyria and then Babylon. See, the first 40 chapters of Isaiah detail this judgment, but also within it are pictures of God's promises and hope for them. 
that the people could anticipate someone who would come that would bring redemption and rescue to them. God's people could anticipate someone that would save them. And that anticipation isn't for them alone. It's for us as well, that he will send someone to restore and rescue us. And one of the ways he does that is through being, bringing justice to the world. That's what we're going to zero in on today. Let's look at verse 1 in Isaiah chapter 42. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I've put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. This verse answers the question, who will bring justice? God refers to him as his servant. You see, in the previous chapter, Israel was called God's servant. But they failed to represent God to the world. And instead of abandoning his people, God chose his servant to accomplish his mission where Israel failed. And God makes it very clear that that is his chosen one. It's as if God puts his finger on his servant and says, he's the one, choose him. Have you ever thought in life, wouldn't it be easier if God just pointed out the decisions that we're to make? Like if God publicly pointed out and said, this is the candidate, vote for him. Or if God pointed out, here's the job to take. Here's the school you should attend. Here's the person you should marry. Well, that's what God does with his servant. He points him out and says, this is the one who I have chosen. We can nominate someone to be a leader but not really like them, but here God chooses him and God also delights in him and gives him the spirit to empower him to bring justice to the nations. Now, we know this, this servant is Jesus, but how do we know that? Well, we see this connection in the Gospels at the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and he comes out of the water, the spirit comes upon Jesus. And the Father says, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. In other words, he says, you're the one I've chosen. I delight in you. Matthew 12, 15 to 18, connects this servant directly to Jesus. It reads, Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known so that what was spoken to the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. The servant is Jesus. But notice how he brings justice. Verse 2 in Isaiah, he will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. The servant comes with humility to bring justice. He accomplishes it quietly. He's not trying to overpower with his voice. He's not about self-promotion. When Jesus come, came to earth, he suffered, he died, he rose again on the cross to take God's justice for our sins. He did it quietly. He did it humbly. He was like a sheep, slaughtered. He didn't raise a voice. We read about maybe world leaders, and when uh, some of them want to enforce a policy, or make people obey a law, they, they use maybe violence or force. To get what they want, they overpower people. Our tendency maybe is to listen to the loudest person in the room, or maybe to be attracted to the person that talks the most. Right? Think about the social media influencers and podcasters in our day. Right? They're often crass, forceful. 
They tell it like it is with an attitude. They say they don't care what other people think. And people love them, right? Maybe because they feel a certain need. Maybe we get pumped up listening to them. Right? They could be putting people down, bashing the other gender, making fun of other people's political views. And we're like, yeah, that's how you do it. They're saying what I've been feeling. They've been doing it with a chip on their shoulder. But that's not how Jesus brought justice. He's humble. He's not argumentative or obnoxious. He's not drawing attention to himself. He's not running over people to get what he wants. Yet he's able to bring justice to the world because he's humble. And along with that humility, Jesus comes with gentleness. Let's look at verse 3. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. In our study of Revelation, right, Jesus is pictured, he's riding on a white horse, returning with great power and great wrath. Here in Isaiah, we get a complimentary picture of Jesus as a gentle servant of the Lord who deals tenderly with the weak and then the neglected. Right? He will not break a bruised reed, verse 3. He will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. The world pays attention to the rich, the powerful, the attractive. While the vulnerable, the poor, the weak are often neglected and forgotten. Yet Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord makes them all. God does not turn a blind eye to the weak. Instead, he comes near to them. A bruised reed is a stalk of grain that's been broken. Now, we don't have a lot of grain in Hawaii. We don't see that often. So imagine a branch of a tree that's been broken, snapped and dangling from the tree. It's still connected, but it doesn't bear fruit. A bruised reed cannot produce grain. It can't be set back in place. But that's who Jesus comes near to and deals gently with. Maybe we have a a view of God where we think he wants us to fix our problems before we come to him. Or we feel like he doesn't want anything to do with us because of our brokenness in our lives, the mistakes we've made, that we don't have much to offer to God. Maybe we've destroyed relationships and opportunities in the past, and we feel like God wants nothing to do with us because we're not producing like the way we did before. If you're a bruised reed, Jesus sees you. He draws near to you. Some of us here feel like we're just holding on to life. That if life just got a little harder, we'd come crashing down. That's a smoldering wick that we read about. It's a candle that's dying. It's lost its flame, and there's only smoke that's left. It's about to be extinguished. Some of us feel like we're at the end of our strength in our marriage or at the end of our rope in our parenting, maybe at work. We're almost crushed. Maybe there's certain family expectations that are weighing down on us like, like weights, and we feel like we're going to come crashing down and be crushed by it all. When you have a candle that's, that's smoldering, when it's about to go out, right? we put it out and we throw it away. But Jesus doesn't put us out. Instead, he comes near to us and he rekindles the fire by his power. He restores the broken reed and makes us fruitful and strong, right? So this morning, if you are a bruised reed, if you are a smoldering wick, Jesus is not repelled by you. He's attracted and draws near to you. 
In fact, it doesn't matter how far any of us are from God that we feel. It doesn't matter our circumstances. God can reach and restore us. Let's look at verse 4. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coastlands and islands wait for his instruction. Right, the earth, even the furthest places, the islands, that's us here in Hawaii. God hasn't forgotten about us. He can and does bring justice and blessing through Jesus. And that's really a fulfillment of Abraham, to Abraham. God promised Abraham that his descendant would bring blessing to the world. And we see that fulfillment right now through Jesus. We see it at the cross where Jesus took God's justice for our sins so that we could experience his mercy. We see that presently through the church as God brings restoration and resurgence as people come to know Jesus and follow Jesus. And we'll get a full experience when Christ returns to make everything right. Now, maybe for some of us, we, we doubt that God really wants to restore and bring justice to our lives. We think, yeah, maybe for other people, but, but not me. Somehow we've been overlooked. Well, that's how the people in Isaiah's day thought. They doubted God would make things right for them. Israel complained to God. You see that in chapter 40. God says, Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from the Lord, my claim is ignored by my God? In other words, they're saying, God, where's the justice? Have you forgotten about me? Am I so insignificant and broken that you've passed me by? And maybe you feel that way. Yet God makes it clear that his servant will bring justice everywhere even to the remote places like us here in Hawaii. We see that in verse 9. It reads, This is what God, the Lord, says, who created this heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, and who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you. I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those seen in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. My praise to idols. This past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. God tells his people beforehand what his servant will do. This shows that he's in control. He has authority even over the future. The wooden and stone idols of Isaiah's time, they couldn't restore Israel. And when the servant comes to bring justice, it means that his people will experience transformation and restoration. That's what comes with justice. Transformed lives. Jesus will give sight to the blind. He will set free the oppressed. And we can experience that transformation right now. Right, Jesus opens our spiritual eyes to believe the gospel and to turn to him. He frees us from the prison of sin and death and the fear of death. He gives us a new heart that's on fire for him. And the broken things in our lives he uses to bring fruitfulness and make us more like him. And as we wait for that day when Jesus comes to bring full justice on the earth, right, we follow in his footsteps in bringing justice in the world. 
That's how we respond when we experience his restoring work in our lives. Here are three ways in the text how we can pursue justice like Jesus. First, it's to actively seek justice. Be active. God wasn't passive in restoring this broken world. He sent Jesus to bring justice to the nations. While Jesus was on earth, he actively sought to restore the broken. Because we experienced his restoring work in our lives, now we're able to actively seek out opportunities to do justice to the people in our lives who are in need, who are the overlooked, and who are hurting. And we can start by prayerfully asking the Lord to show who these people are in our workplaces, in our classrooms, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. When I was teaching uh, middle schoolers a while back, a former colleague told me a story about a student she had. It was uh, the beginning of the school year, and the student wanted the kids who are new to the school to be welcome, to not feel like outsiders, because that's how kids can feel when they're new to a school. So the student took the initiative and, and used her social standing to gather other students, and what they did was they wrote welcoming notes to all the new students in, in their grade level. See, one side of justice is punishing the wicked. That's a part of justice, punishment for the wicked. But another side of justice is making sure the outsiders are brought in, that the forgotten are found, the, re- the broken are restored. Maybe there's a person in our school who needs someone to be their voice because they've been ignored and pushed to the side. Maybe there's someone in the workplace, maybe a single parent struggling to get by. No one else notices, but God puts that person on your heart. Maybe there's someone in our neighborhood, maybe a a kapuno who's homebound, who's in need of care. And God put us in these places, right, to look out for their interests, to care for their needs as Jesus' representatives. Let's actively seek to do justice. Now, we can do that and get really pumped up, really excited, and charge into the situation like a bull in a china shop. And we end up might be doing more damage than good. We, see, we need boldness to take the initiative to do justice. But we also need the gentleness of Jesus. We need to be bold, but also gentle. You see, Jesus doesn't destroy broken reeds. He doesn't put out smoldering wicks. In our pursuit of restoring the broken by God's grace, we might get frustrated that the process is taking longer than we expected. We might get frustrated at the person uh, that we're trying to help because they're not as cooperative. Or maybe we get angry or frustrated that those who are to blame, the ones doing the injustice, right, are, are not caught. And our irritation spills over into the people we're trying to help. We need to come with the gentleness of Jesus, like a parent holding a newborn. Right, whenever a parent has a newborn, right, maybe you're someone that when the, when the parent says, here, you want to hold hold this one-year-old, uh, one-day-old, two-day-old child, and we're like, I'm good, I'm good. Why? Because they're so fragile, right? We don't want to hurt this young, young infant, right? Because they're so precious. Well, the, the poor and the weak and the vulnerable, they're precious to Jesus. And so we need to come with the gentleness of Jesus to support that coworker, that classmate, that neighbor uh, who's in need of our love and support. And that's impossible to do, right? We can't do it on our own. We need God's help. Israel tried it and they failed. 
we will fail too unless we have the power of the Spirit. That's the third encouragement, that as we pursue justice, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to reflect the love of Jesus, we can't do it without him. We need to depend upon him. If we're to be a church where the broken come and experience refuge, redemption, and resurgence in the church, we need the wisdom and the energy and the power that is beyond ourselves that's only found in the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who empowered Jesus to open up the eyes of the blind, to free the prisoners, to heal the broken, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit who lives in all of his people, who lives in us. That is good news. And that is something we don't need to anticipate in the future. We have the Holy Spirit empowering us right now. So as we look forward to celebrating Easter, let's be seeking to bring justice, the justice of Jesus, to the people uh, that God has placed in our lives. Go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his redeeming, restoring work in our lives, that we found in him our refuge. And what we pray, Lord, as we continue to experience his power and his love and care, that we would now, by his spirit, pursue justice in his name, for his glory, by his power. We thank you for the cross, that through his death on, the, on it and his resurrection from the dead, we have new life, a life of joy. And we have to anticipate and look forward to that future day when all that is wrong will be made right. And until that day comes, Lord, may we continue to put our hope in you. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.